0: Good morning,
1: morning.
0: (laughs) is everybody warm? My name's Lisa Graves and I want to welcome you, especially if you're a guest, um, to the Hopkinton Vineyard. Hopefully you received a bulletin and if you did, there was a connection card in it. And if you fill this out, um, it'll help us to get to know a little bit more about who you are. And um, if you turn it in or hand it to one of the staff members, you get a Dunkin' Donuts card. Woohoo! <coughs> I have a few announcements. Um, I want to talk about something that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, several families from the church are going to be going to the Dominican Republic on a family missions trip in January, which is uh, very exciting. I, I went there several years ago um, when I was single, and I always said on a medical missions trip, if um, when I get married, I want to bring my children um, on a missions trip. So finally, we are able to do that. Amen. So it's one thing for a single person to go, but for a whole family to go, it's, um, it's expensive. So we are going to have a couple events coming up um, in the next month to help raise support for uh, the families that are going. And the first one, okay, so <clears throat> we have a clothing drive. And... Um, It's from 10 to 12 on November 7th. As you can see, there's a bunch of clothes out there. If you have clothes, we're taking all kinds of clothes, infants, men's, women's, children's, boots, hats, everything. Um, And then it's going to be on on that Saturday from 10 to 12 in the morning, come and fill a shopping bag for $5. And um, it's going to be run by the bonded girls, which are a girls group, our youth group that are from the uh, grades 6 to 12. And, um, uh, oh, yeah, I can look over here. So um, another thing we're going to have is a, um, on November 1st, which is in two weeks, we're going to have a church potluck. <clears throat> so you can bring a dish, um, or you can also bring an item to sell, like breads or desserts, or um, I know Aurelia's going to do some of her salsa. I'm going to do some soups, that sort of thing. And... Um, So Mariah and Lily, can you raise your hands or stand up? They are going to be going around with a clipboard after church and signing people up to bring things for the potluck. All right. Um, The next thing I want to talk about is um, on November 8th, the youth are going to be doing um, car detailing from 830 to 12. It's going to be during church. You just uh, drive up, let them know you want your car uh, vacuumed, windows washed, armor all that sort of thing and they're taking donations that'll be uh, towards the missions trip as well and then if i could have the youth that are going to the dominican republic come up here for a moment (laughs) and um, so the other thing that we have going on is on october 31st in the morning and also november 14th um, this is, we're doing hire youth for odd and not so odd jobs. So like general cleaning, window washing, lawn maintenance, leaf raking, babysitting, dog washing, walking, sorry, our dog washing, <laughs> uh, moving boxes. <laughs> Anybody need their dog washed? <laughs> um, so you can hire them and I'm just gonna ask Lance to say Uh, One minute of um, he hired them yesterday, and um, he's going to say one quick thing, and then I'm done.
1: I will say one quick thing. I did hire them yesterday. Um, I'm thrilled that the kids are really looking to make money. They're willing to work hard, and I had two cords of wood delivered this week. I had seven kids come to my house yesterday. They had to haul it to the back of my house. They hauled it, they stacked it, they got it all done in an hour. Um, so, and they did an incredible job. I tell you, I'm, I encourage you to hire the kids to do something. <clears throat> if you have the means, be incredibly generous. Uh, it's a huge undertaking that they're, they're doing to go to the Dominican. It's a worthwhile trip. Um, they asked me yesterday, what should they charge? <clears throat> if you have the means, give them 100 bucks an hour.
0: <laughs>
1: you laugh. Then remember, it's going to the Dominican and double it.
0: <laughs>
1: and remember that you can get a tax deduction for it and triple it.
0: <laughs>
1: Find something for them to do, no matter how small. And no matter how small your, your gift is, uh, participate. Thanks. Thank you.
0: So I just want to say, Alan and Anthony will be doing sign-ups after church if you'd like to hire them. All right, thanks, guys. And I just want to invite Rob Davis up, our pastor. Thank you.
2: Okay, Teresa, so it's your hot dog stand, you can hire these guys for, I guess, 100 bucks an hour. I'm, I'm <laughs> sure you'll have an outstanding day in your... <laughs> well, talking about uh, a Dominican trip, uh, we've actually got a, a trip with Bernadette going down to the Dominican Republic uh, this Saturday, and we want to pray for them. Uh, as they go down. So Bernadette, I don't know who's here from your team that's going down, but if you're going down to Dominican Republic this uh, Saturday coming, uh, come on up and uh, we want to pray for you. And if you are new to church and you think, well, that's a lot to the Dominican Republic, uh, that's because we uh, started a church down there near Porta Plata and in the little village of Montiano. And so we uh, go down and support uh, the church and and uh, make regular trips uh, down there. So if you would, why don't you uh, extend a hand to these uh, folks there? the The focus of this particular trip is door-to-door um, evangelism. The pastor down there asked for that. They've uh, got a whole bunch of people, unlike our town, that actually want people to come to their house and talk about Jesus. And so people ask, please, can you can you send somebody? Uh, we want So they've got a whole bunch lined up, and they're going to do that as part of what they're doing down there. And they, some of them sponsored orphans, and they're going to go see their kid that they sponsor. So I just pray you have a blessed trip. Why don't you extend a hand? Jesus, we just pray blessing on them as they go down. Uh, Lord, we just pray for you know the whole trip, uh, the logistics, getting there and back. But uh, most importantly, Lord, that uh, you would work through them. That they would experience uh, your blessing, uh, hear your voice, uh, be your hands, be your feet, be your mouthpiece. Uh, and Lord, just direct them to the right people at the right time. Uh, I just pray for this trip. And Lord, we we look forward to hearing a report uh, next Sunday about all that you did uh, down there. I mean, two weeks time when they get back. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Have a a great, uh, a great trip. Well, we're starting a, a new uh, series today, uh, which I'm excited about. Uh, I've titled it "God Loves Us." He uh, dot dot dot. Uh, so, how do we experience God's love? And uh, today, the big idea is uh, God uh, desires us to be the people of His presence. And so God loves us, and He desires us to be the people of His presence. In other words, uh, He loves us so much that He desires to share Himself with us that uh, we can experience uh, God in the things that we do. And so, you know, these folks going on a missions trip, uh, in one sense, uh, they carry the presence of God with them to the people that they encounter, and so when you encounter these people, whoever you're encountering, they recognize there's something more than just people. Like, there's a sense that okay, they're loving, they're caring, they're saying things which are uh, supernatural, or uh, you know, only God could have led them to have said, or, or whatever it is. But uh, God desires us uh, to be people of His presence, where. Uh, when we come to church we experience God's presence and uh, so uh, I, I just you know desire that when you guys come to church uh, like today that uh, you would be blessed by experiencing God's presence in whatever way shape or form that might be it'll be might be different for each of us but in some sense you feel like man I, I connected with God or God connected with me or God you know, God encouraged me in my circumstances, or uh, maybe it's nothing like that at all. Maybe uh, in today's, uh, as in my sermon, we're going to be looking at sort of the big picture that maybe you just never thought about the big picture of God and what God is actually up to, and uh, you might say, okay, I see how God's presence works in the big picture. But uh, to kick us off, I I asked Ron Fife if he would be uh, up for sharing a little bit uh, about uh, his uh, connection with God. Like, so Ron, why don't you come on up and, uh, you know, sometimes when we look backwards on our lives, we can say, well, I I think this was God or I sense this was God. Uh, Sometimes in our present circumstance, you're like, I don't know where God is. I, I don't sense God. I don't feel God's presence. Uh, but when you look backwards, uh, you say, Wow, well, I, I, I think this was God. So, Ronnie, stand up here and, and let us hear all about it.
3: Okay, well, Rob had asked me to share three things. Yep. Um, but I think I'm going to run out of time if I've only got five minutes. So, if you see me running down the aisle, that's so he can't get the microphone back. But, um, <laughs> Anyhow, uh, okay, the first thing I'd like to share, and God has done many things, many things through my life, and it's almost impossible for the time we've got here to tell you about them. Uh, but I but I did pick three things, um, and I'll go through the first two fairly fast. And, and one was around 2006. Um, I was sleeping, and I had this vivid dream of a number two, uh, like a birthday cake, uh, a child's second birthday, a big two. That you would put in a cake. And it was glittery and, and flashy. And, uh, and I couldn't figure out what that was. And, uh, you know, I'm there like, God, are you going to double my money? Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> and then I thought, are you going to half my money? I don't know. But, but, anyhow, I'll come back to that because it gets important. But I, I never did at the time quite figure that out. Uh, the second thing is again, I was at uh, where I live and I live in a basement apartment where the foundation comes up halfway and then I have windows and uh, my bedroom faces the front of the house and and we're right on Route 140. Anyhow, I'm asleep. This was uh, about six years ago or so. One winter, was really, really rainy and um, it it never really froze. The ground never froze. It was a hot winter. And um, so the ground was muddy. It was raining that night. About one thirty, I hear, I'm sleeping, I hear this voice, Ron, wake up. I mean, it was just like somebody was standing right aside. I mean, I don't hear these things. So so I got up, I sat up, and I looked around, and there's no one there. And, and I said, well, a dream, I, you know, I don't know. So instead of getting up, I laid back down. And I wasn't even asleep again yet. About five minutes later, I hear this crash. So I got up and I looked out my front window, and there's a car, and it hit an apple tree about 15 feet coming directly towards my bedroom, and it slid right across in the mud, and it was kind of wrapped around the apple tree. And that's never, I've been there 11 years, it's never happened before, never happened after that a car has gone into that. But that night, a car hit the tree, and I was woken up prior to that. So that's another thing, and I don't want to extend that out, but if you haven't heard from God, I got to tell you, God does speak to you. And uh, and and He's there. now the third thing. This is the one I want to concentrate on. And Blake, if you if you happen to have that, yeah, <clears throat> I was thank you. I was given this by a member of the church in two thousand and eleven. I I was in my van actually up, up up going to another church to do the prayer ministry. He ran up and he said, "I believe God told me to give you this." Now this person was just kind of starting with God. It was the you'd never expect a person to come up with this. But anyhow, <clears throat> over this period of time, I was trying to figure out what did those numbers mean. I mean, I add, subtract, multiply, divide, couldn't come up with anything good. So I kind of just set it aside. <clears throat> okay. Now fast forward 2014. I'm losing my voice a little bit, you know. Um, the 337, we'll concentrate on that, the first set of numbers, 337. Um, never could figure out what it was. Well, in, in August of 2014, I was, I was uh, uh, diagnosed, thank you, with, with cancer of the throat. Um, to a long story short, I, I go to Boston one day and, and Rocco drove me, thank you Rocco, and Sue Bershman came with me too, my moral support. But it was to see all the doctors, the surgeon, uh, the radiologist, the chemo doctor, and anyhow. We saw them all, we're in the room, they all looked at me, and then they said, we're gonna go out of the room and discuss this, so they went out of the room, came back three or four minutes later and said, we're not gonna do any surgery because of where it's at. It's, It's low, it's near your vocal cords and things like that. So here's the plan. We're gonna do three heavy sessions of chemo, Three weeks each, thank you. And seven weeks of radiation. That's, that was the 337, a light went right off, right then and there. And that was given to me in 2011. And since then, the other numbers have, 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 are coming up. Actually, the three the sevens come up. The seven was the radiation that stands for the radiation. I'm on the last 33 right now. And, and I think I heard the Lord say three before, three after. But I don't know what, exactly what he means by that. So And also, that two on the bottom line, think back to the two that I heard that I saw him in a dream way, way back in 2006. That two is, is I'm with you. It's the two of us. It's the two of us. That's what that two meant all that time. And, and it's unbelievable. My daughter brought me for uh, to have my uh, uh, a port put in and day surgery so we're driving back home and I'm telling her the story and I'm talking about twos and we're driving back she's driving my car and I happen to say what time is it? my car radio is right there with the time and that happened to be August but it was August 22nd 2.22 p.m. right when she looked at it so I just want to let you know God is with you all the time and he's always working and he healed me and he can heal you if you need it. Just, just have faith. Just have faith. And thank you. Yeah.
2: I thought you were an electrician, not a mathematician. <laughs> but hey, well, I guess God, we <laughs> God speaks to us all sorts of ways. I um, doesn't speak to me through numbers. But there you go. I, you know. Uh, and it's hard sometimes in the telling because sometimes these things are are, are uh, personal. But uh, let me just uh, say again, what I want you to get out of today's sermon is a sense that uh, God is active and he's got a, like a big plan, a master plan that sometimes we lose uh, connection with or focus on because by definition we're interested in what God's doing with us personally, uh, directly. And sometimes the big plan uh, escapes us or we forget it And uh, so today I I want to look at the big plan and uh, look at that again. So uh, let me just pray. Uh, uh, Jesus, I just ask and welcome your spirit to be here. Uh, I pray for your Holy Spirit to move. Lord, whether you like spoke to Ron through numbers or you speak to people today through relationships or, uh, you know, directly with what I'm. Saying from your word, but uh, Lord, we just—I just ask that we would encounter your presence. That, uh, I, Lord, I pray that your people would be blessed for being here today. There's a sense of, okay, this was worth it. So, Lord, I, I just ask you to help me to preach uh, and uh, present your word uh, in your name, Jesus. Uh, amen. So uh, I want to be working through an Old Testament book as we uh, look at this out of the book of of Exodus. And I'm not going to be going through verse by verse, but I'm going to be going through the book of Exodus uh, looking at this theme of uh, God's people and God's presence and and how does that uh, come together. Uh, So the beginning of the book of Exodus is what you'd call a classic children's story. Uh, the story of the birth of Moses and uh, how Moses, um, you know, comes onto the scene. And uh, in many ways, you'd say, well, you know, that's just a a great story that we tell our children's ministry. uh, And uh, most kids know it, and most adults know it. But uh, I want to just dig in a little bit deeper than that. While it is a great story, there's obviously a richness to this. If we look at Exodus chapter 1 and chapter 2, Uh, we see that this story is rooted uh, not only in the Bible, but also in history. I mean, you could be a history teacher and you could be, uh, you know, studying Egypt and uh, uh, people groups, and you would say, okay, we've got the Israelites. uh, Where did they come from? Uh, Who were these Jewish people? Uh, How did they end up in, in Egypt? And how did they end up getting from Egypt into Israel? And, you know, besides the Bible, uh, you can just look at the history of this and you would find uh, plenty of support uh, for what God has done, you know, a long time ago. But uh, from, a, from a biblical standpoint, we see as it opens up here, we've got the 12 tribes of Israel and uh, they've landed there because of the story which we picked up if you're reading Genesis where uh, Jacob, uh, you know, has made his way Uh, down to uh, Egypt following his son Joseph who was sold into slavery and Joseph uh, turned a bad situation into a good situation and then God used that to actually save uh, or create or to start the Jewish people. That would be the source or the root of the blessings that God had promised Abraham. You see, this is one of the challenges when you preach the Old Testament. You need like a lot of intro because not everybody is on the same uh, page on this. But uh, as the story develops, uh, we find that uh, Joseph was uh, imprisoned and then he became a leader in the uh, Egyptian uh, government and he was like one of the highest uh, seen officers, was trusted by Pharaoh. And uh, the Jewish people uh, did really, really well. They, they, they prospered, and they, um, they were multiplying, they were populating uh, that part of the earth pretty well, and uh, they were being blessed. But time went on, and uh, we pick it up here in verse 8, and it says, Eventually a new king came to power in Egypt, who knew nothing about Joseph, or what he had done. And uh, so the new king just sees this as a problem. And he says, wait a bit. We've got a whole bunch of immigrants. The immigrants have like really been breeding pretty well. And they're actually pretty powerful. And they're great labor force. But they're kind of like almost more populous than what we are. And if there's a political problem or if we have a war, then, you know, these guys aren't like Egyptians. So they might rebel against us. And so the government sees the immigrants as being a big threat and a big problem. And uh, so the solution is to sort of confine them and restrict them. And so Pharaoh says, okay, I want you to become laborers. And they force them into uh, slavery and they force them into being productive. And so production becomes more important than uh, humanity. And uh, as the story progresses, uh, Pharaoh says, okay, we're going to up the volume that we want you to produce, but uh, we're not going to help you with the ingredients. We're not even going to give you straw to make these clay bricks. You have to do that on your own, but we still want the same output. And it's just a lot of pressure. And they find that uh, even with the more pressure and more production, uh, the Jewish people are still doing pretty well. I mean, they're not happy, but... They're still reproducing, and, um, you know, the the workload is heavy. They're probably working seven days a week. Uh, And so Farah comes up with another plan. He says, okay, what I want you to do is I want you to, this is talking to certain, like, high-level midwives, I want you to kill uh, the males. So if you see a male get born, you kill him, and we'll do, like, a population control. I mean, do any of these like themes like sort of resonate you know, with current day events? You know, like China tried this idea, you know, we just... Anyway, so that didn't go down too well because the midwife said, you know what, we're not going to kill the kids. And so then Pharaoh decides, okay, well, we're going to like find all the males, all the young boys, and we're going to just kill them. And we'll just throw them in the Nile River. And uh, so it was about this point in time when... A certain Levi family, Levi being the, the, the priestly part of the 12 tribes of, of Israel, uh, a couple in that clan gets married, and they have this baby Moses. And they're trying like crazy to protect Moses from being killed and being thrown into the Nile River. But after Moses is about three months old, uh, he just, like, can't be hidden anymore. And so the mom says, okay, the best I can do is make a basket and put him in the basket and just kind of like let him loose and whatever happens uh happens. Uh and I mean, think of that as a, as a mom, how terrifying that would be. But uh as you know if you've read the story, uh you know, well, be, before going from that standpoint, if you were at that point in time, you would be saying, "God, like where are you?" You know, like we 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 working like crazy. You made some crazy promise to Abraham that, like, we're going to be the blessed people and we're going to be, like, super populous and, uh, you know, you're going to work through us. But at this point, we're just a bunch of slaves and we don't even feel your presence. We don't even know what you're up to. I mean, I don't even know what you're doing. I mean, that would be like normal sort of thinking if you were at that point, uh, living at that point. And so, anyway. Moses' mom now, you know, in desperation to try and save her son, she puts him in a basket and floats him down the Nile River. And uh, Moses' sister, like kids would, like chase after the basket, say, oh, let's see what happens here. And she's watching as the basket's floating down. And then, again, you know, when you look backwards in what God's doing, often you see the hand of God. And uh, at that particular point, Pharaoh's daughter uh, just happens to be, coincidentally, coming down to bathe at the river. She sees this basket floating down with some kid screaming his lungs off, like, wow, okay. So gets the basket and sees the baby, falls in love with the kid, and and it's like, okay, well, what am I supposed to do? And there's the little sister running down the bank, and and she says, well, you know, I can help you. And and so Pharaoh's, the princess, Pharaoh's daughter says, well, you know, anybody that could perhaps nurse this baby and you know the saying, "Oh, I'll go find somebody you know some Hebrew lady my mother and goes and gets a mom and you know breastfeeds her and then again when you look back when God works in your lives uh, it's like really like crazy what God can do uh, so God says okay I, I'll pay you through Pharaoh's daughter I'll pay you to nurse this kid would you up for that arrangement she's not sure you know get paid to breastfeed my own daughter. You know, this is, I mean, my son, Moses. It's a good deal. So, yeah, the mom is being paid by Pharaoh's daughter to raise her own son, Moses, who's supposed to be killed. And then when he's, uh, you know, of age, she gives him back to the daughter, and and uh, she's raised in the, you know, in, in, the, in the palace or in the Pharaoh's courts. And uh, and then when Moses gets older, uh, he realizes, okay, uh, you know he's a Hebrew and uh, he's looking at his position and he's had this great education he's had this great upbringing he's had life of privilege but his people are slaves and they're suffering and uh, so he goes out to where they're making bricks and they're working uh, building you know whatever they're building uh, pyramids or whatever else they had going on there. I don't know but the big building programs and he sees they're working like crazy And uh, he sees an Egyptian, you know, mistreating a Hebrew, and Moses kills him. And then the next day, Moses comes down and he sees two Hebrews fighting, and he's like, "Geez, what's up with this?" And he's trying to sort it out. And the Hebrew says, "Wait, are you going to kill me like you killed the other guy?" And Moses realizes he's busted, and he's like, "Ah, okay," you know, kind of try to do things my own hand. And now he knows he's on the hook for murder. And so Moses says, okay, I've got to hightail it out of here. And so Moses is out of there. He runs to uh, Midian, which is southern Jordan today, or uh, Saudi Arabia. And while he's there, uh, wandering around in the desert, he comes across, uh, you know, this girl who's got a whole flock of animals, and there's some other shepherds, and they're not letting her drink water, so she helps out with the watering, and... The girl's dad, when she goes back, she says, you got back early. And dad says, tells dad the story. And dad says, well, why don't you bring the guy back and, like, introduce him? He treated you kindly. And the long and short of it is they get married. It's just like a wonderful fairy tale story. And they live happily ever after. Well, not the happily ever after part, but they get married. And that takes us to chapter 2. So just, like, take a breath. Okay. I mean, it's just a great children's ministry story, isn't it? I mean... That's the story of Moses. An awesome story. But I, uh, I want to just uh, tease out a few things here for us. If you've got your bulletin insert, um, I, I, it's sort of like going to be a little bit of a Bible study uh, this morning. Uh, so if you want to fill in the blanks, that uh, you might find it helpful. Uh, but uh, when we look at God loves us, He wants us to be a people of His presence. In chapter one and two of Exodus. Uh, God's presence is with Moses. God's presence is with Moses at his birth, which obviously would have nothing to do with Moses. He couldn't control when he was going to be born or where he was going to be born. But you see God's hand in it, and God's presence is with uh, Moses through marriage. He like lines it all up. Uh, you know where he's going to be and who he's going to marry, and and uh, you know he has Moses coming from this Levitical. Uh, line, and he ends up marrying a daughter of uh, a Midian priest, and, uh, you know, God's just like in it when you look back on it. At the time, you don't necessarily see it so much. And, uh, you know, the the one thing which sort of removes our sense of God's presence in our lives is when we go through difficulty, uh, if we're struggling, uh, the, the natural sense is that God has abandoned us or, or somehow God's not with us. Uh, you know, you're battling with schoolwork. All you can think of is schoolwork. You're battling with kids at school which are, you know, picking on you. All you can think of is kids picking on you. You, you don't have a job. All you can think of is, you know, you don't have a job. I mean, and yet, in a way which I can't fully uh, understand is that God uses adversity, difficulties, hardships in our lives to connect us to Him. It it makes us dependent on Him. It it sort of forces us to pray. And God loves that. God loves it when we are dependent on Him. Now, the weird thing is this. Uh, The more we struggle, uh, the more adversity that comes our way, the more it seems like we press in and lean into God. But on the other hand, the better things go for us, when things are really going well and awesome, you know, we just like don't need God so much. We don't necessarily intentionally forget God, but we do, and we just don't pray as earnestly. We're just not as committed. We, you, you kind of step back, and and then just God just sort of becomes more distant. You know, there, there's a, a great article by a Boston College uh, research professor called Peter Gray. And he said, he's seeing today what's called a declining student resilience. And the guy's a research professor, Boston College, and he's basically saying this. He said, you know, he's been teaching for a long time, but kids today are coming in, they're so non-resilient. They're so unable to handle like minor issues in life. I mean, the smallest little bump becomes a crisis. So he says... Um, At one major university, emergency calls to counseling had more than doubled over the past five years. Students are increasingly seeking help for apparently having emotional crises over problems of everyday life. Uh, Grace said that one student felt traumatized because her roommate had called her a nasty name. I mean, traumatized, I'm going to counseling, This is a college kid because her roommate called her a nasty name. Two others sought counseling because they'd seen a mouse in the off-campus apartment. Now, look, if you know really, she would probably understand this. But I mean, for most people, like, we're not going to call. So these kids, they called the police because there's a mouse in the off-campus apartment. The police shows up uh, and he kindly arrived and set a mouse trap for them. I mean, really? It says the newspaper, The Atlantic, calls this kind of thing the coddling of American. Uh, Many of these emotionally stunted students can't handle a bad grade. And their professors live in fear of negative student reviews and lawsuits. Or as one director of counseling said, there has been a decrease in the ability of many young people to manage the everyday bumps in the road. I mean, it's like okay, you know. So on the one hand, we try and protect our kids, which is totally normal, but in another way, we need to expose our kids to like mission trips, just like Lisa's realized. Okay, you know, you go down to Dominican Republic. It's really a Mostly safe place. But, you know, it's not America. Uh, you don't just drink the water from the faucets. You don't even drink the water. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if I go down there, I'm like, I'm far better off just drinking beer. I know where it's been distilled. And, but I'm not allowed to say that because it's a church. Okay, so I drink uh, coffee. <laughs> really and I, we drink a lot of coffee. Okay, all day, coffee, coffee. Yeah. Or Coke. Coke is great. Coke's great. Don't forget about the. You know, lettuce. Oh, forget about that. You know, yeah, like, okay, give us the green herbs, you know, like lettuce and kale and whatever. Down there. No, no, it's green. Don't touch it because it's washed with water. And, like, don't. Don't touch it. You know, so, uh, yeah, we battle. I mean, stomach problems, a big deal when you go down there. I'm always, like, taking the whole thing of, like, every stomach thing I can get. But it doesn't mean I don't go. I, I think it's great to go. And then, you know, you you know, see the people, and I remember taking my daughter, and so, Like, wasn't only the people, she like liked the cat, and she was picking up the cat, and I'm like, that's the most mangy looking cat I've ever seen, it's like, only got fur on half its body, and she's, oh, it's the greatest cat, I'm like, oh, don't touch it, I mean, don't touch me, don't hug me, I'm like, put that cat down, you know, <laughs> oh, it's a cute kitty, oh, i like, yeah, well that's what happens. And you you know, see how the rest of the world lives. I mean it's what an eye opener, what a shock. But you can say, I don't want my kids to get exposed to any of that stuff. I just want to keep them nice bubble rapture Hopkins and Hopkinson It's just really nice and safe and protected. Nothing ever goes wrong. Or you can say, Okay, this is the real world, this is how people live, somehow they survive. We're gonna expose ourselves, we'll take every logical precaution we can, like taking stomach. Bug problem medicine with with you, uh, you know, and you go and you get exposed. There's something about God wants us to take risk, and there's something about we experience God's presence in adversity. It's just the way it is. Now, uh, Professor Gregory Beals is a professor at Westminster Seminary. Uh, wrote a, a book. Uh, Blake, we got this book up here. Uh, God dwells among us. And uh, this book really is a, you know something that like only a professor can sort of figure out. And so I want to try and distill it for you so you get the best part, unless you really love this stuff and you want to read this book, and I highly recommend you get it and read it. But for the average person, they're going to find a little perhaps dry. Uh, but it's actually not dry. I think it's really, really interesting. And what he does is he says there's a whole bunch of parallels here which are not so obvious if you're just reading through the Bible. And he teases them out, and I want to uh, sort of highlight what he's teasing out here. So if I'm saying the first point in my fill in the blank is God's presence with Moses at birth and through marriage, the second point is God's presence in the Garden of Eden. Now, I, I, I'm going to, you're going to bear with me as I just sort of look at some parallels in Scripture. With the idea of saying, okay, God's got a big plan, and we part of that plan. So the big plan is this. In Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, uh, God said he walked among with Adam and Eve. So if I read Genesis 3 8, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So. You know, Genesis has a disproportionate impact in the rest of the Bible and in our lives because Adam and Eve, uh, first parents, and uh, the way they responded to God and the way they sinned is still impacting us today. And so in this particular case, uh, we've got the Garden of Eden. We've got Paradise. Uh, We actually have what heaven is going to look like and what God has a plan to circulate all the way back to where creation is reformed uh, the way it should be, and we are restored where we have relationship with God the way it should be, where God is present. And so we see in this section that God was walking in the garden. Now, in Leviticus, as we're moving through the books in the Bible in the beginning, uh, God says, okay, look, we're going to you know, fast forward the story of Exodus. God takes the people out of uh, Egypt And they're moving them into the promised land. And in the meantime, they're going through the desert. And God is saying, I'm going to be present. Uh, and I'm going to walk with you. I'm not going to be like far away distant God. I'm going to be walking with you. And uh, God says, as one of these promises of uh, uh, the blessings of obedience, he's saying, if you, the Hebrew people, will obey me, I'm going to be with you. That's one of the blessings, one of the benefits of obedience to God. So in Leviticus 26, 12, he says, I will walk among you. I will be your God and you will be my people. You see, so this idea of presence is just like a really, really uh, huge deal. So the next uh, part of presence would be the tabernacle. Uh, God says this in Leviticus, uh, this is point three in the outline. God's presence is in the tab- tabernacle. I will walk among you and you will be my people. That was the way he was uh, having a place to be his people in, uh, in the wilderness. But God is also saying, listen, I want to be your people in work. And going back to the, the Garden of Eden, uh, we see in Genesis 2.15, the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over the garden. They actually had some work to do in the Garden of Eden. It was to tend the garden and watch over it. Not like destroy the earth and pollute it and, you know, destroy it. To tend it and watch over it. And uh, in a similar way, uh, in Numbers, the book of Numbers, when God's talking about the priest, he says, Hey, listen, guys, your job as a priest is to tend and watch over, you know, the tabernacle uh, as it was there. And so in Numbers uh, 3, 7, and 8, we've got Aaron the the priest and he's supposed to perform their sacred duties in and around the tabernacle. They were to, he was to maintain the furnishings of the sacred tent. And he was to serve in the tabernacle. Uh, uh, you know, there was a job of just like the Garden of Eden. You, you, you tend and watch over these things. And then uh, moving along rather rapidly here, uh, God's presence with the cherubim. And uh, I, I don't know what you think about when you think of cherubim. Uh, Blake, you want to throw that first photograph up? It, it's not this. It's not like little cute little kids that happen to be white, uh, you know, with little wings on and just like you know, give them a little hug. And No, that, that's actually not the idea of a cherubim. The next picture, this is more the idea of a cherubim. Something like like ferocious and vicious that you wouldn't really want to hug. It might just eat you or kill you or like... Squash you. I don't know what it would be. But if you see a picture of a cherubim, uh, you know, in in a dream or in real life, it would be frightening. And so, what God does in using cherubim, He uses cherubim to block Adam and Eve from coming back into the garden when they've sinned. Uh, And in a similar way, God uses the cherubim as an imagery on top of, um, you know, where they've got the Ten Commandments. So, He's saying, "Okay, let's put cherubim on the ark of the covenant, to so that you just don't go and touch that ark, and just like you know, carry it any old which way. It's like the presence of God. It's like there's a fearful thing there. Anyway, uh, some of these imagery you can kind of go on and on. I, I don't necessarily have the time for it, but you know, in the candlestick and in the lampstand and in the pomegranates and the fruit and from the tabernacle. You entered it from the east and you entered the Garden of Eden from the east. And, and all I'm saying is there's all these parallels which uh, Gregory Beals is pulling out and he's saying it's all God's presence. Th- there's a consistent flow that we might miss that God is like interested in the intimate details. Uh, you know, the way the lampstand to, to to, was to be built it was to represent like something in the garden. It's a tree-like thing. Uh, and then we fast forward into the church. Uh, God says in 2 Corinthians, "For well, we are the people of the temple. We are the living temple of God. Uh, God is really looking at us and saying, okay, we are the temple. And uh, culminating in Jesus. And Jesus is really the presence of God. So when we read John 1.14, so the word became human and made his home among us back to the tabernacle idea. God is tabernacling with us. God is walking with us. God is here with us in church. So he, beca- the word became human, made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And then in John 2, 20, 21, what they exclaimed, it has taken 46 years to build a temple and you can rebuild it in three days. And then Jesus says, My body. This is the temple. Uh, So what I'm trying to say is there's these throwbacks where God is saying this is the present." It it relates to the Old Testament. It relates to the Garden of Eden. Jesus wants us to know that he is the presence of God. He's connecting with us. And it culminates in uh, when God returns, when Jesus returns. And in Revelation, we, we, we look forward to this. Revelation 21, 3 and 4, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among us. Uh, We will live with Him. And we will be His people. God Himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death. There will be no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All these things are gone forever. Uh, The presence of God will be with us. God is up to something whether we see it in our day-to-day lives or not. And I, I just want to finish with this idea. Jesus uh, the ultimate representation of the presence of God, the holiness of God, suffered. We are not going to get through this life without having to go through the bumps and the bruises and the difficulties. We, we can't only just experience God's presence and God's protection and God's love and God's joy without experiencing the knocks that go along the way. Jesus was ridiculed. Jesus was mocked. Jesus was flogged. Jesus was crucified. Jesus was God. Uh, And Jesus says to us, if you like me, pick up your cross and follow me. Uh, He doesn't say, you know, pick up all the good things and it'll just go real easy and sweet. No, he says, pick up your cross, meaning there's going to be a lot of bumps and bruises. And this is kind of like a big deal. If we get this, we don't feel like God has forgotten about us when we're having difficulty, when things aren't going smoothly in our lives. Uh, God's presence can still be strong. This can be time of growth. So, uh, uh, Lord Jesus, I just pray as I end this uh, sermon that uh, your presence would be thick with us, your people. Lord, in good times and in bad times, Lord, that you are up to something. Uh, you are moving in this world. And Lord, uh, I, I just pray for your people. Uh, Lord, that we would experience a connectedness to you that we would be filled with hope and with joy despite our circumstances, that you would give us the strength and the joy uh, to move on through our circumstances because you are with us. And Lord, we don't understand why you allow us to experience uh, pain and difficulty and sorrow. But you are with us. uh, And Lord, your presence is sufficient. And we thank you for that. Uh, In your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, stand up. Have a break. Now, worship team, let's uh, worship the Lord.